0: Welcome to There is a Method to the Madness. My name is Rob Maxwell. I'm an exercise physiologist and personal trainer. I'm the owner of Maxwell's Fitness Programs, and I've been in business since 1994. To exercise or not exercise is clearly a psychological decision. That's something we're going to talk about today. First, let me thank Jonathan and Lynn Gilden of the Gilden Group at Realty Pros. Hey, listen, they're flat out the best. Jonathan has a degree in real estate, and Lynn has a master's degree in business. And from the get-go, that's what they wanted to do. They specifically wanted to get into real estate. They've been doing this for a very long time. And if you've been paying attention at all, which I do, the market is changing. Houses are no longer Selling as fast as they were. So now's the time that you absolutely need a pro to help you. A pro, not somebody that's just trying to make a buck, somebody that is doing this for a career, because then it really matters to them. If you need help, give them a shout 386 451 2412, or hit me up anytime and I'll get you connected. All right. So that quote I gave was a quote in the opening chapter. Of One of the courses I taught on sports psychology and the book was a sports psychology book and the chapter was an exercise psychology chapter. And again, it opened with to exercise or not exercise or not to exercise is clearly a psychological decision. You know, I mean, it's just true. It's a decision, right? I mean... There's a lot of things that I guess can be complicated regarding fitness, regarding exercise, regarding diet, but ultimately it's a decision that maybe we make every day to do. Maybe we make it most days of the week to do, or maybe we make a decision not to do it. So clearly it's a decision. It's not like a I really don't know how type of thing. All right. So one of the things I used to do as a uh, teacher when I was teaching sports medicine, I I always like to give kind of like real life examples because you could say that all the time and people really don't get what you mean. So I I thought outside the box a lot when I taught. Uh, I still do. Um, I think it's, uh, I I think it's fun. I think that we can really make a difference when we're not too stiff and do things that, uh, you know, maybe we're afraid to do certain things for how it will get received and all that, but that's just not really how I think. Um, so one of the things I would do is during this chapter, during this area of the course, I would send a student out and walk around the hallway and I'd say, look, find somebody Eating a bag of chips or drinking a Coca Cola, Dr. Pepper, Mountain Dew, whatever. And, you know, to be politically correct and all that, of course, I would say, look, don't target anybody that looks like they would have lower self esteem. Maybe they're overweight. You know, we don't want anybody to feel like They're being bullied or whatever, because that was not the point of this experiment. The point was to show what I'm getting ready to tell you. So they would go out without any other prompting. I don't know that they knew what I was doing. I mean, matter of fact, I know they didn't. Uh, I knew what I was doing, and I had 100% confidence that it would go the way that I wanted it to go because it always did. So they would bring this unsuspecting student in, and uh, I would introduce myself and you know make them feel at ease. Again, this isn't about embarrassing anybody. And I'd say to them, so you've got this bag of chips in your hand. Yes, I do. You're eating that bag of chips. Yes, I am. Are you fully aware that those chips are not good for you? Yes, I know they're junk food. Okay, that'll be all. Thank you. And then before I uh, literally shuffled them out of the room, I would explain what I was doing. I'd let them listen in on the uh, you know discussion if they wanted to. But normally, they just wanted to get back out in the hallway and uh, get some more chips. But And then I would do it with soda. i um, you know do it multiple times to just keep proving what I was trying to tell them. It's, people ultimately do know what's best. I mean, they do. And it's getting them... To really decide if they care enough what is best for them like when is this going to matter to them enough and that really it's the same thing with exercise i mean sure their exercises to an extent can be complicated exercising can be complicated now that we finally have the american college of sports medicine and All the other organizations talking about including strength training into your life for everybody, for the health of it, not just for the aesthetics, not just for the strength, not just for performance, but because it's good for you. It's got multiple health benefits. We got them on board. And so typically when people are going to the doctor, most physicians now will say, well, you really should be doing some muscle strengthening exercises. In fact, we had somebody uh, contact the gym when was it? I guess it was a couple days ago saying that their doctor recommended they get into some strength training because of osteoporosis and other reasons. So it's becoming quite common to be advocated for, for everybody nowadays. And so now that that's the case, you might be picking up magazine articles, you might see things in the paper. And so I guess it could be complicated from that standpoint. People are like, well, I know I should strength train, but where do I even start? So there, there is some of that, but you know, ultimately walking is great exercise, right? I think everybody knows that. I mean, I can remember when I was working on my master's degree in exercise physiology, my professors were really in the triathlons and that. So they're really fit endurance athletes, but at the same time, they would talk about, you know, you still got to walk. Walking is so important. It uses different muscle groups and running. It's great. It's great for people that are already doing a lot of exercise. And it's, of course, great for people that aren't exercising. So we all know walking's good for us. So that's not complicated, right? Yet people don't do it. One study I saw showed that only 7% of the population are on a continuous sustainable exercise program. So 93% of the population is choosing to not exercise enough to get benefits. The, uh, one of the recommendations by the American College of Sports Medicine states that everybody should be getting at least 150 minutes a week of physical activity. Now that's 30 minutes five times a week, 150 minutes. And they even went on and said, It can be broken up, you know, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, that is not a lot. And the majority of people in this country are not doing it. They're just flat out not doing it. So why? What is it? So if exercise or not exercise is clearly a psychological decision, why are so many people choosing not to do it? You know, I honestly don't know exactly. It it baffles me, as you can probably tell the way I'm talking about it. it. I mean, it does baffle me in so many ways because to me, it's necessary. To me, it's not only necessary because the studies show how necessary it is, but it's necessary for me to feel good. And I think, you know... Why would people not want to feel better? Is it they don't believe the benefits maybe? You know, is it the old invincible thing? You know, we talk about kids sometimes and say, you know, they do the wildest things thinking, you know, they're invincible. You know, we all were that way at 16 to 21 or whatever. You know, is it that? Because, you know, a lot of the problems associated with a sedentary lifestyle and poor diet aren't immediate consequences. They're, they come along slowly, but they do come. I mean, is it that, is it because we just think, well, this isn't a problem now? I mean, I don't know. I mean, clearly it's a motivation issue and, uh, you know, that's a tough one because just continuing to go back to my coursework, you know, I really learned many, many great things, working and then of course with my education but I had a professor when I was a psychology major that was my first degree. His name is uh, Dr. Fisher and I took a class on human motivation. I thought, well wow, this is going to be cool you know no matter what direction I go into, this is going to be important and it was. It was a great class. but I remember like you know here we are expecting you know how do we how do we motivate people you know? how do we motivate people? And we walk in and Dr. Fisher had written on the board, you can't motivate anybody. And it was in this big, you know, back when they used to use boards, believe it or not, it was still a whiteboard, but you know, I think it had like either big black or big red letters, you know, and we're all staring at it. And he did the first attendance or whatever he did and handed out the syllabus. And then we spent the rest of the time talking about it. And, uh, you know, He's right. I mean, you can't motivate somebody. You can somehow, like for me, I guess, making this more into the uh, first person here, you know, I can't motivate somebody to get exercise. I can't motivate somebody to eat better. I can be motivating. I can do it myself and then talk about the benefits I get from it. Um, I can eat right and then have good things happen and talk about that. But I can't motivate anybody. I can't get in there and say, this has to matter to you. I mean, as much as you want to, as much as I want to. Like, you know, uh, I had a, a mentor of mine who had been doing personal training longer than me. And he is no longer with us. And I can remember him telling me early on, I was in my early twenties. He said, you know, you can't want it more than your clients. You can't work harder than your clients. Like you, you can't, you don't put yourself through that. And, uh, you know, that, that wisdom really sat with me because this is a person who had probably been doing it 10 years or so when I was starting out and he had a lot of success. So, I listened to him, you know, we got along good and I listened to him. I picked his brain quite a bit and uh, you know, he's absolutely right. I mean, sometimes I'll be like right now, workouts and training people and you know, and the, the, the constant questions of, well, you know, did you log your food? Did you go for your walk? Did you do this? Did you do that? And oftentimes the answer is no. And I'm like, why? Like, it's so simple, you know, you have these complaints, you have these problems, you have these things that you're here, you're paying good money, and you're not doing what you should do. It's like, why? And then we get to the point where it's like, you know, okay, so taking the advice, it's like, well, you know what, when you're ready, when you're ready, you tell me. but until then, I'm not going to ask, you know, I'm not going to push because it's pointless because That was very good advice. You can't work harder than the person. You have to meet them where they are. Meet them. Work as hard as them. They've got to want it. So like as coaches and teachers and trainers and parents, we can set up paradigms to help motivate. But that's very different than motivating somebody. We can set up paradigms, meaning, you know, there are different ways. There are different motivational strategies. There is classic learning theory. So operant conditioning means that people will work for rewards or work to not get negative reinforcement. Um, I think we all know, well, hopefully everybody knows using exercise or extra exercises, punishment doesn't work at all. It kind of just plants a, a negative seed. But negative reinforcement means, well, if you do this or don't do this, you're not going to get this. That's not an extremely great tool in my world. You know, don't know that it's great for parenting either. Studies show that when you use operant conditioning, again, that's rewards and consequences. The one that works the best is positive reinforcement, meaning that if they, uh, you know, I don't know, um, act respectful towards you when they typically don't, then they can get a video game or they can get, you know, more time on the TV or whatever. That's like number one, as far as operant goes. And number two is negative reinforcement as far as how those three work. And then the worst motivator was punishment. So, you know, I don't know that any of those are very good. I've heard people say, you know, well, you know, the person kind of sets up their own paradigm that says, if I lose 10 pounds, I'm going to go and um, I'm going to splurge on a meal. It's like, I don't know that that's best. You know, I mean, the, the way I believe that it works as far as that goes is I'm just like a stickler to limits, meaning that I'm not going to tell somebody that they're doing fine when they're not. So I think as far as being motivating again, because you can't motivate somebody, I think it's it's very important to be truthful and consistent. And when somebody's doing something well, you tell them. When they're not, you tell them. So you can be consistent. So they learn. They they can pick up on it. They can predict it. They might change their behavior because you're predictable. So I think that works pretty good so like there's things we can do as trainers to help the motivational process but we can't motivate one of the um, top motivational strategies they found is what is called social learning theory and that is from a psychologist by the name of Albert Bandura may have heard of him he did a lot of work on cartoons and talking about like whether that was bad or whatever and uh, maybe that's where you heard the name. But anyway, I know him because of the social learning theory. And essentially what that means is if the role model does something, let's say that they exercise every day. Let's say you grew up and your mom was into exercise. So like in my case, my mom was. She always biked. She walked and she liked to go to the gym. Those were the three things she did. She mostly was a walker. And a gym goer, like a power walker and all that, like really into it, walked miles and miles and always went to the gym. So she was an exerciser and she ate very healthy. From the time I was very little, she ate very healthy. That's all I can remember. Never remember there being, you know, a lot of junk in the house unless I asked for it, you know, but she definitely didn't eat a lot. So if if your role model is, let's say, a positive role model like that, and then you start, you, the kid or whatever, start doing the same behavior, getting the exercise. And then the role model reinforces it by saying, Hey, I noticed you've been doing blank. Good job. Well, you're more likely later on to be motivated to do it. Now, the problem is what can we do about that now? Because social learning theory means as you're learning to get motivated growing up, so like, how do you change that now? Well, I don't think you can, but the point is, is that that's one of the ways that we learn. So if we turn this into say a negative twist, like maybe just for understanding how this works, let's say a young boy, I don't know why I'm associating like the good with the mom and the bad with the dad. Cause that's not how I feel at all. But these are just examples I've used in the past, but anyway, goes to a football game. The, the young boy goes with his pop to a football game and the, uh, you know, the father drinks too much and he gets into a fight. And, you know, unfortunately, we're seeing more and more of this at these NFL games lately. It's pretty disturbing. And, you know, the, the father gets in trouble. He gets in a fight and he leaves. And, you know, that's what the kid sees. Someone will say, well, that kid's going to turn out to be violent. It's like, that's not completely true because we have to apply this social learning theory. The reality is if he sees that and then he goes to school within that time period, you know, within a week or something like that, and he gets into a fight and he gets sent home and suspended and he goes to his dad, what happened, son? Well, I punched so-and-so in the face and the father says, ah, that a boy, that's my boy. Well, yeah, that kid's most likely going to turn out to be violent. So the shift wasn't what they saw it was what was reinforced from what they saw. So that's a big, that's a big, seems to be a big driver of human motivation. Um, but I think everybody that's like really into exercise and then they look and their kids aren't, they get very frustrated, but they just have to understand that they, they can't do it. I mean, you can't do it. The only thing we can do is be the role model and hope they, they, get it one day and just understand that like they've got to make their own decisions. But again, it is a decision. It's all a decision. And we as trainers can't motivate you. You know, we can be motivating. In other words, we can be not boring. So you come to the gym and we make it fun by doing different kinds of um, exercises and different styles. And we have a personality. I mean, yeah, those things can help, but nobody can really motivate you. And by the way, the fact that, like, you go to personal training or whatever, like, somebody might say, well, shouldn't you do it on your own? It's like, well, why? I mean, you, you know, you're getting there, and that that's the important part because most people don't. Accountability is the number one reason why people select trainers. That's fine. Like, you are motivated enough, then you're motivated to make the change. I'm talking about people who don't want to incorporate exercise into their life, even though they know it's best for them. And we all know it's best. I mean, we all know form of activity is best. We may not know exactly what to do, but we know if we get up in the morning and go, I could go for a walk or I could go drink beer okay i mean i think it's i don't who would say that the other one's better i mean come on anybody really it's just the motivation isn't strong enough that's the key that the the will isn't there so that's what i want you to think about and again this could be it could you could be highly motivated in some areas and not motivated in others i've known people like that i've trained people like that they're highly motivated in their exercise And they have very poor motivation when it comes to their diet. So it's not a, it's not black and white. It's not all in it's, you know, we're all motivated in some areas more than others. That's just normal. So what can we do? We just do the best we can, right? We take care of ourselves and we try to live by example. And I think that's the best thing we can do. And I'm saying we, 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 because if you're listening to this podcast, You're motivated. I mean, I don't know too many listeners that tune into this. You know, it's kind of like the old, you know, we we listen to what we already know type of thing. So I am kind of preaching to the choir. That's okay. You know, just keep doing what you're doing. All right. So now I want to thank our second sponsor, Overhead Door of Daytona Beach. Zach and Jeff Hawk are both highly motivated in the gym, highly motivated to be their best highly motivated to give you the best product in garage doors and the best customer service. So if you need any help with garage doors, give them a shout at OverheadDoorDaytona.com.